This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. My name's Howard, I'm the senior leader. You can tell I'm the senior leader because I'm the one with the really grey hair. Just got in a series on, called Transforming Grace, The Power of God's Unfailing Love. So I want to ask you a question. How do you feel about rules? How do you feel about rules? So, so I, I, I don't know, you know, there's, there's, it, who feels positive about rules? So, sometimes, yeah. Who feels, no, I don't like rules? I'm in the I don't like rules category, you know, so keep off the grass. Well, if anybody's got grass that's nice enough to keep off, I'm on there. You know, you know if it says drive at 30, you know, I'm probably like the rest of you, I've probably driven a little faster. I don't really like rules. But, but then, you know, there's a sense where, we, I've, I've put that an obvious one, you know, some rules are helpful, you know, in sports, in health and safety. Man, do we love health and safety in this nation. <laughs> you know, we lo- love health and safety. And, and I can understand rules. And we've got a kind of mixed reaction to rules. And one of the things that, that people feel uh, uh, about Christianity or, uh, is that, that it's about rules. You know, that, that basically the aim of the exercise is that, that there's God's given a list of rules. He'll start, he starts with 10 just to keep you going. And then he's added a whole stack more. And you're going to measure you how you feel based on how you're doing about those rules. Um, and, and, and I think that you, you, you can think about how do you react to rules perhaps under three uh, Mr. Men categories. Uh, I have used Mr. Men before here. but um, uh, just So maybe you're, for, maybe you're this person. Maybe your reaction to rules is, I don't do rules. Maybe I, 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 my aim is, I, I, want, I want self-fulfillment. Rules are going to close down my options. I, I'm really not interested in this Christian thing because rules, they're closing down my options. You know, I, I'm looking for satisfaction. Uh, and so, you know, if you imagine in one of these kind of teen magazines, what's the favorite phrase of Mr. Self-fulfillment or Mrs.? Okay, so self-fulfillment. You know, maybe your favorite phrase is, if it feels good, do it. There's a song there somewhere. Bumper sticker, life is short, play hard. The goal of your life, perhaps, if this is you, is self-fulfillment by satisfying my desires. This self-fulfillment is huge. We talked about it in previous weeks. This idea that you, know, you need to find self-fulfillment by, by finding this is who I really am deep on the inside. I need to express those desires. I need to follow my desires. Uh, you know, rules, uh, you know, I make my own rules. That's who I am. I'm Mr. Self-Fulfillment and I make my own rules. Uh, the downside of this is that, that, you know, I mean, Mick Jagger, does anyone know who Mick Jagger is these days? You know, he can't get no satisfaction, can he? You know, you know people don't even admit that these days. Pop stars don't admit that these days. But the bottom line is, if you're looking for self-fulfillment, it's always just over the horizon. You know, uh, the, what is it? Henry Rockefeller says, how much money do you need to be happy? The answer was... 
just a little bit more. Uh, you know, and there's, there's always a sense where self-fulfillment is always over the horizon, so we reject the rules and we chase after this and we, we feel exhausted. And the bottom line is inside, the, the, the guy, the woman who's looking for self-fulfillment by rejecting the rules ends up feeling empty and bored. And, and, you know, most of us, and I've said this many times, most of us don't get to that point where we have as, as much money and freedom as we possibly want. So we don't ever get to the top of the ladder to realize there's not there. But, you know, the stories of, 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 of broken lives, you know, of, of, of Hollywood stars that, that, that burn out and commit suicide and all that horror is because they get to the top of the ladder and realize they're empty and bored. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, talks about this in Romans chapter 6. He identifies Mr. Self-Fulfillment. Perhaps this is uh, uh, how he puts it. He says, you used to offer, it's talking to people who used to be Mr. Self-Fulfillment, you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing lawlessness. In other words, I'm not interested in rules. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And then he asks this rhetorical question, what benefit did you, uh, what benefit did you reap at the time from those things you were ashamed of? And the answer is, well, nothing really. And he says, actually, you just feel slowly dying. Maybe that's one reaction to rules, and you might think, oh, no, no, I'm in church this morning. That's not me at all. I'm possibly, can't possibly be me. Maybe this is you. Maybe uh, Mr. Self-Saviour, um, Mr. Rulekeeper, or Mrs. Rulekeeper. You know, you think, well, in the end, it's about rules, so let's lean in there. If church is about rules, let's lean into rules. Maybe uh, Mr. Uh, or Mrs. Self-Saviour is, you know, let's get to work. It's about keeping the rules. You know, you get down to it. Come on, there's a whole load of rules. You better get moving. You've got to work in on your rules. Get to work. When uh, the bumper sticker is, when God says jump, I say, how high? <laughs> that was supposed to be funny, never mind. <laughs> Thank you. The interesting, the goal of Mr. Self-Saviour is to save yourself. Save yourself by being perfect. If I can achieve this kind of, I keep the rules, keep the rules, keep, keep all the rules, save yourself by being perfect. In other words, I've kept the rules and therefore I am saved. I, my life will be fulfilled. About rules, you know it makes sense. Lifestyle, still exhausted. Exhausted keeping up performance. It's hard work trying to be a, a rule keeper, isn't it? Because you just never get there. You never quite do it. So if you keep the rules, maybe you flip this person. If this is you, keep the rules one week, you feel self-righteous. You know, people hate that about church people, don't they? Self-righteous. Or what happens is you feel rubbish and you don't keep the rules, but outside you just put on this kind of religious face. I'm doing great. Everything's fine. Don't ask me any questions. You become a hypocrite. Paul talks about these in Romans 2. He says, you who rely on God's law boast about your special relationship with him. So he's obviously talking about Christians. You know what he wants and you know what's right because you've been taught his law. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? He's addressing them as hypocrites. No one can ever meet. And then he says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Why don't you read that? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Boom. The law simply shows us how sinful you are. If you set yourself on that post, you are never going to be made right. Paul says it here in the Bible, keeping the rules is not going to make you right with God. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you fulfilled. All you know is you're going to just find out how bad you are. 
you've been in some sort of setting, some sort of churches, and this is not a pop at Catholic churches at all, but I worked in a Catholic school, and the kids would always talk to me, and I'd say to them, what do you feel about being a Catholic? And the word they used was guilty. They just felt guilty. It's about the rules, and I'm just not making it. Maybe this is you. You go further, you think, well, okay, you know, I'm going to be a rule keeper, but maybe actually I'm going to really be really good at this, and you're going to end up as this person, Mr. Self-Justification, Mr. Fingerpointer. The favorite phrase is, I'm better than you. God is watching, and so am I. Maybe it's me, I don't know. <laughs> Save yourself by being better. Save myself by being better than you. About the rules, what about him? I mean, if you're a parent, you know this how this rolls, don't you? You say, you've done this, kids, and you've done this, and they go, ah, but what about Damaris? <laughs> what about Jotham? What, what, you know, that, that's how we do it, isn't it, in our workplace? Well, you know, somebody says, you didn't do that, and you go, ah, but what about him? Exhausted by comparison. You know, the Prime Minister, uh, sorry, President of the United States, I think it was FDR, Roosevelt said, comparison is the enemy of joy. So what you end up is your heart attitude is joyless and bitter. So your interactions with God's law, all your interactions with God's law are going to leave you feeling like this. So Romans, Paul, Romans says it's in Romans chapter 1, you may think you can condemn such people, that's the finger pointer, but you're just as bad and you've got no excuse. You say they're wicked and they should be punished. But actually, you're condemning yourself. You, you judge others. You do the same things. Because of you, God's name is ridiculed among the nations. Interesting, isn't it? M- most people, if, if people in church become finger-pointing, judgmental people, you know what the world outside thinks? God's name's ridiculed. I ain't going there for all those hypocrites and all those finger-pointers and all those... Why would I want to be there? Max Lucado, an American pastor, says this, the hedonist, that's the pleasure seeker, the hedonist on a bar stool, the rule keeper on the church pew, the finger pointer on the judge's seat, the first massaging his passions, the second measuring his merits, and the third monitoring his peers, the self-satisfied, the self-righteous, and the self-appointed. If you interact with the law, uh, on any kind of basis, you're going to be like this. And, and in one sense, Paul has been building up in his letter to this little illustration that I'm going to, I'm going to work through with you now. So uh, we're in, uh, so the, the, the main chapter, passage is in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read selective verses through. Uh, they'll come up on the screen behind you, but you, you, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to check that they're in there. Okay, Paul says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to Christians, in that sense, the family of God, For I'm speaking to those who know the rules, know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as she's alive, but if her husband dies, she's released from that law that binds him to her. So if if you're married and your partner dies, you're allowed to go get married again. It happens. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, brothers and sisters, you also, listen to this, died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who's raised from the dead. Who's that? 
Who's to him who's raised from the dead? Thank you, good. Sunday school answer. To him who's raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit to God. But now, by dying to what once bound us, you've been, you have been released from the law so that you may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Father, we just pray as we look at this illustration about being married to the law and how we respond to that. I pray that you draw us through into understanding the, the role of the law, but draws through to understanding the incredible, transforming power of your grace. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not be those that live under the law, reacting in different ways, rejecting it, or trying to be a finger pointer or a self-righteous person. Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves really close to you, and that would make a huge difference for everyone who's listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Paul is making this illustration, and the first thing he says is that we're married, we're married to the law. So we've got Mr. Law here, he's the bossy one. Mr. Law, we're married to perfect Mr. Law. Uh, if, if, by the way, if, if, if this is your partner, if you feel like as I read these illustrations, you're not allowed to nudge your partner and go, <laughs> that's you, because that puts you in the, uh, the self-justification, what about him category, so just don't do that. Okay, but you know, uh, you might feel it's me. You're married to perfect Mr. Law. Yeah, that would, no. <laughs> the thing about Mr. Law is he likes things done right. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? There's nothing wrong with that, 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 that somebody wants things done right. You know, lawlessness, you know, we don't want that. Chaos, we don't want that. But the thing is, he's very hard to please. He's constantly pointing out your faults. But you can't argue because he's always right. Imagine that. You're married to this let's, your husband, Mr. Law. He, he's got his certain requirements about how things are done. And, and, and you, you're tr constantly trying to meet his requirements. You're constantly trying to do what he says. You know, and you, and you can't sometimes feel, is this unreasonable that he's asking me? And you, and you think about it and look at it and think, no, it's perfectly reasonable. This is a reasonable request he's making. There's nothing bad about the law. There's nothing, nothing that he's saying that's unreasonable. But, but somehow I just feel angry with him. I feel like he's always telling me I can't get it right. I'm always feeling guilty. I'm always feeling like, come on. And the trouble is, he never helps me at all. You know, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to do what's right. And Mr. Law, he just sits there on the sofa going, you didn't do that, and you didn't do that, and you didn't do that. And you think, well, get off the sofa and help me. And before long, you just can't cope with coming in at the end of the day. And Mr. Law says, how's the day been? And you say, well... I messed up on this, and I didn't do that, and I didn't do that. And he never says, okay, it's fine. He just says, you've got to try harder. You must try harder. So after a while, you just think, blow this. How's your day gone? I've been great. You know, I've done nothing wrong. I've been absolutely perfect. Now please love me. And if you've got a relationship with the law, and that, that's, what, that's what Paul is saying, that you, you belong to the law, that's what being married to Mr. Law is like. You just feel guilty or you end up being a hypocrite. There's some interesting verses in Romans, uh, uh, Romans chapter 7 which kind of Christians are thinking, well, what's this talking about? But I think these verses, and I'm going to read them to you, um, are saying this is what it's like if you try to live pleasing Mr. Law. 
I've just edited the, the bits because it's got a bit of a doobie-doobie if you know the, 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 the ones. So Paul says this, I do not understand my behavior. He's trying to rationalize, why, why would I behave like this? And the question is, who's I? Is it Paul himself? Is Paul personifying Israel, the people of God? Is Paul talking about Adam, the first man? Who's he doing that? I think he's talking about anybody, anybody who tries to keep, who's trying to impress the law, trying to keep the rules, trying to please Mr. Law. I don't understand my behavior. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. If you have ever sinned, if you've ever rejected what God's good path and chosen your own, you always feel afterwards, why did I do that? I wanted to do what's right, but in the end I've done it what I hate. Why do I do that? For I have the desire to do what is good, but I just can't do it. I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil or the sin I do not want to do, I just keep doing it. So I find this law at work, says Paul. Although I want to do good, sin is right there with me. The problem with you trying to be a, a keep the rules kind of person is you've got sin. And sin is always going to say, you know, walk on the grass. Look at that, say that, eat that, drink that, do that. It's always there, tempting you. So every time the good law says, don't do that, sin goes, oh, go on, it's got to be nice. From that right at the beginning of the story, don't eat that fruit. Oh, go on, God's holding out on you. You really want it, don't you? And we have this pattern in our, in our lives if we get close to the rules, if we're thinking, I've got to keep the rules, I've got to keep the rules. Every time we try and keep the rules, what happens is we fail. And so we end up guilty or feeling hypocritical. And you know, the, the thing about Mr. Law is, the closer you get to him, it's not very fruitful. Mr. Law is impotent. Mr. Law has one weakness, is impotent. Intim intimacy with him cannot produce new life. That verse I got you to read from Romans that says, keeping the law is not going to make you good. Getting close to the rules is not going to make you good. Paul says this in his letter to the Galatians. Is there a contradiction then between God's law and God's promises? And then he says this, really, really important verse. If a law had been given that could give us new life, then be made right with God would certainly come by obeying it. Boom. Let me stop there. So let's imagine that we... we we, um, let's choose an area. I, I'm trying to think of an area that I should have thought of an area. Um, let's choose a non-contentious area then. Let's say about money then. Let's say I said to you, right, I'm, I'm going to say this is the law. You are going to be amazingly generous with your money. And you go, okay, I've got the law. And you know what? I just speak the law and then suddenly you're all amazingly transformed and generous. You're not subject to all the financial consumer pressures of Cheltenham. You just think, I'm just going to live above this. I'm going to be generous. I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to do that. And, and if a law that could be given could do that, that would be easy, wouldn't it? I'd say, right, you're all going to be holy. 
You're never going to do that or that or that or that. that. You're never going to do that. I just speak the law on Sunday and away you go. Wouldn't that be easy? If you could say to your kids, now be nice to your brother. And they go, okay. Just the law would make it happen, eh? Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. If a law had been been given that could give us new life, that being made right with God, and in other words, being made perfect, could come by obeying it, then it certainly would have come by that way. But the scripture declares that we're all busted, we're all slaves of sin, so only by receiving God's promise of life, we only receive God's promise of life by believing in Jesus. It's really important to understand that. Getting close to Mr. Law does not produce kids. It does not produce the kids called good behavior. Good attitudes, good getting close and getting into it with Mr. Lord does not produce that because he cannot do that, he's powerless. You just get the stillbirth of I'll try harder next time. You just get the miscarriage of I feel terrible and broken and oh, I thought I was gonna be alright and now I'm not. That idea is out of the Bible. Paul talks about the law being impotent. So you know what happens if you end up with Mr. Law, you can't keep his rules, his, it, what he says doesn't change you, you end up hating the so-and-so. You end up hating the law. Mr. Law, I wish you were dead. Married to Mr. Law leaves you slowly dying inside. The only hope you have is wishing that your husband, Mr. Law, was dead. By this point you should hate Mr. Law, shouldn't you? Paul goes on and says, no, 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 he's not, it's not him, he's not the bad guy. He's not the bad guy in this story. You're the bad guy. It's the problem is you just can't live up to his expectations. So you want him dead. I wish there were no laws. Stuff it. I'm not doing Christianity. I'll have no laws. I'll go and self-fulfill because I, don't, I want him dead. I don't want any laws. Don't tell me that. Paul says this, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body of sin and death? He could be talking about the law he's married to, he could be talking about himself, but he's, in the end he's despairing. He's saying, I'm stuck in this pattern of despair and legalism and hypocrisy and trying my best and failing. And the really cheery thing is that your husband, you're all married to him, Mr. Law, is never going to die. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, that heaven and earth will pass away before the heart, the law has a heart attack, or the least stroke of the law. The law is never going to die. The law's never going to die. Jesus says, heaven and earth pass away, but my words will never pass away. The law's never going to die. There's never going to come a moment where God says, that doesn't matter how you behave that way, or that doesn't matter, or that doesn't matter. What's good is staying. The rules are here to stay. And you are stuck married to them. Well, isn't that cheery, eh? Aren't you glad you come to church? But the reality is so, so many people come to church year after year or understand from the outside and they just feel, you know, I go to church because I'm supposed to. I try my best to be good because I'm supposed to. I work hard because I'm supposed to. I'm not really enjoying this. I'm a miserable person. But, you know, hey, that's Christianity for you. Hallelujah with a small h. (laughs) Paul says this, again, I read it at the first part. It says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body of sin? How am I going to get free from this terrible bad marriage? 
And then he gives us the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way to exit this marriage to Mr. Lloyd's, someone's got to die, and the answer is it's you. We read this earlier. You've died to the law through the death of Jesus that you might belong to another, to Jesus who's been raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit at last. But now by dying to what once bound us, that old marriage, we've been released from the law. So we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. This is like the heart of the Christian gospel. It's the heart of the Christian gospel. That what happens is you've died. You have died. I'm not making it up. Let me read it out of the Bible. This is a New Living Translation, so it's to put us in a slightly more contemporary language. For when I tried to keep the law... It condemned me. So I died to the law. I died with the law and all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Jesus Christ. I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's saying is, you can't be married to Jesus and be married to the law. You've got to die. And the only way, you've got to die with Jesus. Glenn Srivener in his book 321 says this, I have no memory of being crucified 2,000 years ago with Jesus. I didn't feel the nails, the crown of thorns, the dislocating joints and the slow suffocation of crucifixion. Yet the fact is, joined to Jesus, I was crucified and died with him. So when we're going to break bread in a moment is that, that, that what we're saying is not, oh, isn't it great that you, Jesus, you've died, and that's interesting, but what we're saying is, no, I've died. I've died. You might think, well, I haven't died. My old way and my old habits are still there, but actually, Steve said, actually, the truth of these are true whether you feel it or not. You have died to get out of this bad marriage to miss the law. You've died. Mr. Law hasn't died, but you have. If you're a Christian, you've died. So you can marry to another. Uh, Theologian, uh, again, American theologian Marcus uh, Johnson says this. In the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, God impresses into our body the truth and reality of our ongoing union with Jesus. The Lord's Supper, in other words, is an experiential truth that Christ dwells in us. So as you take the bread and eat it, Christ becomes united with you. And here's the thing, what's true for him becomes true for you. The Lord's Supper, in other words, is an experiential truth that Christ dwells in us and we dwell in him. In other words, we died with him. And, and Paul says this in Corinthians, is not the cup of thanksgiving with which we give thanks a participation in the death of Jesus? Is not the cup of thanksgiving which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? And the answer is, yes, it is. 
It's not just, oh, this is a nice thing, that sort of Christian ritual. What it's saying, this is, when Jesus gave us this meal, he's saying, don't you understand that when I died, you died? And you say, hang on a minute, I don't feel it, I don't experience it. And he's saying, no, that's true, that's a reality. Let's press in and, and, and get this down. So the bottom line is you're married. Now, if you're a Christian, you're not married to the Lord anymore because you've died, and so you're free to marry again. You're married to Jesus. It's all right, guys, you know, bear with me. It, it, and most of the time, it's the women who have to be sons and all that kind of stuff. But on this, we've got to be brides, men and women. Married to Jesus, the perfect Mr. Grace. His standards aren't lower than Mr. Law. I sometimes hear people say, oh, but Jesus is, you know, he's really loving and caring and whatever. And what they mean is, could you, Jesus has lowered his standards. That's not true. Jesus' standards are actually higher. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the Mr. Rule Keeper, the Pharisees, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. So he's not like he's not got any, he's not like he doesn't care about living right. He totally does. He's perfect. But living with him is a totally different experience than living with Mr. Law. Mr. Grace is servant-hearted. What was the law like? Never lifted a finger to help you. Jesus comes alongside you by his spirit and helps you to live right. Mr. Grace is servant-hearted. He he sympathizes with our weakness. When you come to him and say, you know, I've messed up again, Jesus. He doesn't go, well, that's it then. It's over. The marriage is over. You know, oh, you've got to try harder because I am deeply, deeply unhappy with you, missus. You know, sort it out. Jesus doesn't do that. When you come to him, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. It says in the Bible that Jesus was, uh, sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way like we are, but didn't sin. He knows what it's like to be tempted but he knows what it's like to resist temptation. He knows what it's like to live free. He sympathizes with us. He comes alongside us. That's what the Holy Spirit, when when in John's Gospel, it it says that the Holy Spirit, I used to think it was a parrot, but the word is that parakletos, you know, it's like a parrot that sits on your shoulder. No, it means that the parakletos is the word for the Holy Spirit, and it literally means one who comes alongside you. Jesus comes alongside you. He's there every step of the way, empowering you to live differently, to live right. Living in his love and forgiveness changes us from the inside. Moving us, as Paul says in Titus, to say no to sin. If you're in love, you will do anything. You are crazy. So my daughter has got a boyfriend she came and spent the day with us. Good. She watched the rugby. We watched South Africa lose by a dodgy decision. That was nice, Christopher. But she came and spent the day with us. And then in the evening, for like two hours, her boyfriend jumps on the train from Bristol just so he can be with her in the evening. And you think, and she's so excited, and he walks in the door. She didn't know he was coming. There's a big hug and tears. And I'm thinking, did we used to be like this, honey? <laughs> You know, he's there for two hours. We didn't even get the film. We're watching some film, oh, you know, and it's like, they didn't, and then they went, and, and, I, and I said, oh, it doesn't matter because they're happy. They get an hour on the train back to Bristol. And I think, 
you know, if you've been married a long time, <laughs> we're not even going to dig this deep. But you know, is that what you're doing? I just need a nice evening, my wife. I'm working away in Bristol, but I'm just going to jump on the train, just have an hour with her. Love moves you, doesn't it? it? Love moves you. But if I said, right, I'm going to point all you married men, and I say, you must give time to your wife. You must be excited about giving time to your wife. You'd say, well, we've got a busy diary. We're just trying to work in a, a date night. Maybe we can fit one in. Helen, just stop it. <laughs> we can just fit one in. You know, I can fit one in in three weeks' time. Oh, no, sorry. Leads are on telly. <laughs> Don't tell this afternoon. Uh, you know, and, but, you know, you just... Love makes the whole world a difference in terms of pleasing your husband, pleasing your wife, doesn't it? When the love goes out of the marriage, it becomes like you're married to Mr. Law. (coughs) Married to Jesus always produces life. Where being married to the law makes you feel shocking and miserable and hypocritical and guilty, married to Jesus gives you life. It gives you fruit. So Paul says we can bear fruit to God. This is what he says in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is, what's, this is what happens. You get married to Jesus, this is what he produces in you. Love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I don't think anybody's putting their hand up and saying, I don't want that. I don't want to, I don't want to be loving. They're ridiculous. Really happy, joy, peace. You know, I want to be impatient. I want to be unfaithful. I want to be grump. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm describing myself for a moment. You know, I want to be lacking self-control. You know, I want. I want to be like that. You think, well, I want to be loving and joyful and patient, but the things I want to do, I don't want to do. Why? Because I'm trying to do it the wrong way. I'm trying to do it married to Mr. Law, but actually married to Jesus. Paul says, against such sins there is no law. In other words, no law can produce that. I can't say, be loving. So you all want to be with Mr. Grace, don't you? He's the best one to be with. But you know what we do wrong when I'm landing here? The way to please your new husband is not to keep returning to your old one. I need two husbands at this point. I want one who looks like Jesus. I'm going to be the wife, by the way, so it's really going to mess everyone's head up. I want one that looks like Jesus and one that looks like Mr. Law. So we need the grumpy person and we need like a really nice, caring person. Tom looks like Jesus. I'd have you as Mr. Grumpy, but you can play. No, come on, come on, come on. You can be Jesus. Let's let's welcome Jesus. Okay, and we need someone who's going to be... um, Andy, you knew it's going to be you, didn't you? Come on. (laughs) He can't, he's, he's planting a church, but he's still here. So you're going to be Mr. Law. Yeah, do that. It's good. It's good. And you're going to be Mr. Grace, okay? Okay, so this is how it is. I, I'll, I'll be the woman. I, this is completely messed up, but bear with me. I, I, but, okay, so I'm married, to, I'm, married, I'm married to Mr. Law, and you know, I, I'm trying my best, but you know, it's just, I'm saying it's not happening. I, I, you know, I'm struggling. I'm feeling guilty, you know, whatever. No, yeah. And so he says, he would say, like, you useless person, what is it? You've got to try hard. And I say, I hate him. I hate him. I wish he was dead. And then what happens is you, the gospel comes and say, oh, I have died. I've died so I can belong to another. Great. Okay. I can belong to, to Jesus. Oh, yeah, I messed up this week, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> Do you know, but what happens is you, you become a Christian and you think, oh, I love it. And then what happens is, you know, they say, when I became a Christian, the first, they said to me, they prayed for me and said, now make sure you read your Bible every day. 
Make sure you go to church. Make sure you give your money. Make sure you, 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 know, you behave right and don't speak badly and honor your parents and whatever. And before you know it, you're back here. Do you, do you follow that? And so you think, well, the way to be a Christian is I've got to keep the rules. To keep him happy, I'm going to be with him. The answer is no. To keep him happy, I've got to be with him. Let's thank Mr. Jesus and Mr. Grace. Phil Moore in his book, we're nearly done. Phil Moore in his book says this. He describes it like this way. He says, Phil Moore in his book, Straight to the Heart, says this. a long quote, but I, I just thought I'd take it as it is out of his book. She's finally, she, that's you lot, was finally free to marry the kind and gentle suitor who'd been waiting for the proper time to make his move. His excited friends arranged the great celebration on the second wedding day. But it didn't take long for them to notice something was very wrong. She kept a photo of her old husband on the side of her bed and she gazed longingly at his stern-looking face while her tender new husband was beside her. She would bury her face in his old husband's clothes in the wardrobe. Man, this is weird. To catch his scent and reminisce about, reminisce about the despair she used to feel when she heard his accusing voice. Oh, I loved it when I felt guilty. Can I help you? Sometimes she'd, she'd miss his abusive company so much she'd cry. I mean, he's making the, the reaction. It's absurd. It's absurd to think the way to be a Christian is to keep the rules. I mean, I would ask you a rhetorical question and you might all leave the church. Do we have to keep the Ten Commandments? You're not sure, are you? Because <laughs> there's just something that says, but Mr. Ten Commandments, you're so good. No, you've died to that. It doesn't mean you then head off in a far-off country and do your own thing? Well, there's no Ten Commandments. Murder tomorrow, it's fine. <laughs> you know, a bit of adultery, great. Who cares? No, you've died so you can marry this guy. This guy. This guy. It's not about rules, but intimacy with Jesus. Paul says this, but now by dying to what once bounders, oh, the language is slavery, isn't it? We've been released, it's like prison from the law so that we can save in the, serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Uh, Bishop of Liverpool in 1879 said this, Boast not in Christ's work for you unless you can show us the Spirit's work, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control in you. The answer, the Christian life, is not get close to the rules. The Christian life is get close to Jesus. So when you read your Bible, it's not, aha, missed the rules. Do you realize I've done so well? I've texted my group. You know, that person in my group, he hasn't texted at all for three weeks. What is happening to him? I'm very concerned. You know, but I have, I've done my readings, and I'm really doing super well, thank you. That's not what it's for. It's like, I read my Bible and think, man, I, I love Jesus. When I said to Steve the other week after we preached the prodigal son, I said, you know, every time I dig in the Bible, I just love Jesus. I'm not saying, hey, aren't I great? Aren't I great? Aren't I great? No, what I'm saying is, I need him. Oh, I need him. Every hour I need him. Paul says this. It's almost wedding imagery. How do you get changed 
How do you get transformed? Paul says this, We with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord and being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. The answer to right living is not to try your best. The answer to right living is to say, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I'm for you. I know you've done amazing things. I know I mess up, but you are for me. And as you behold him, you become like him. Against such things, there is no law. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.